Uh, as you're seated, would you please turn to Genesis chapter 32? Uh, that's where I'll be reading out of. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, that's where you should turn. <laughs> Genesis chapter 32, and we'll read the chapter together, all 32 verses, and we study what God has said. Beginning in verse 1, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and go to your kindred that I may do you good, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, for the hand of Esau, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. Two hundred female goats and twenty male goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord, Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him and he stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. 
So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Father, thank you for your word, and Lord, we ask that as we study together that you would work among us in our hearts and minds to conform us to the image of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. God, we ask that for your glory and for his praise forever. Amen. Well, we come now to Genesis 32 and Jacob, who's about to enter the promised land. He's been away for 20 years. God has said it's time to go back. And during that time, during the last 20 years, God has been working on Jacob. He's been doing a lot of work on Jacob, and it's been a slow process. But God's got some more changes before Jacob's allowed to come into the promised land. And these changes are not going to be slow. In fact, they're going to be pretty fast, and they're going to be a little bit painful for Jacob. But these, are, these final changes are necessary from God's perspective. He's going to have to go through what God wants him to go through before he's allowed to enter because Jacob needs to right some wrongs between himself and Esau, his brother. He's got to reconcile with him. And he needs to learn the reason for the strength and the abilities that God has given him. All the resources that Jacob has, his intelligence, his dependability, his adaptability, his, his strength, those things aren't for manipulating, as we've seen Jacob do, or scheming and devising and tricking all to get what he wants. That's not what Jacob's supposed to use all of that for. The strength that God gave Jacob is supposed to be used to hold on to God and to serve Him throughout the work in his life. Now, some of you, I think, just heard, okay, so Jacob's supposed to do all the church stuff all of his life, and he's supposed to do really well with that, but, you know, then he has to get on with real life. But that's not what this means, where Jacob's holding on to God and serving Him in his life. When Jacob does his daily work as a shepherd, and when Jacob's building up his family, those are the things that God has for Jacob to do and to use his strength for, to work for the Lord, to work for God's glory. So it's right for him to, to go to work every day, to, to build up his family. It's, it's right for him to come back to the promised land. But instead of relying on his own resources, his strength and intelligence. He needs to be relying upon the Lord, and we're going to see what this looks like and, and how this works. In the everyday work of life, when we go to work, when we go to school, when we're staying at home or caring for children or when we're eating or drinking or sleeping or working or resting or whatever we're doing, God has given all that we have inside of us and all that we have around us, outside of us, to be used or what God wants, not to spend it all on our passions. James 4 talks about our strength and resources are given to us, not by God just to spend it on our passions. We, we don't have because we don't ask, and we ask because we're asking to just use it on what we want. But instead, God gives us all that we have so that we will live for Him who died for us and rose again, Jesus the Christ, our Lord, our Savior. And so God uses these circumstances to prepare Jacob to meet with Esau, to reconcile with Esau, and to, and to teach Jacob these lessons about life, what it looks like to live our life and use what we have for the glory of God. 
Jacob's not going to be allowed to enter the promised land without these changes. Later on, Israel, in, from coming from Egypt into the promised land, is not going to be allowed to enter until they go through some changes. And brothers and sisters, we're not going to be allowed to enter into the promised land that God has for us, our eternal home, without the necessary changes that God has for us. So this is important stuff. This is, this is crucial for us to understand that God is working in all that comes to change us for His glory. So let's study together the 32nd chapter of Genesis in, in two sections. The first one, in verses 1 through 21, let's look and see that Jacob prepares to meet Esau by praying and presenting a gift. He's going to be preparing by, preparing, by praying and presenting. A lot of P's there, right? So Jacob and Laban, in, verse, in chapter 31, verse 55, had parted ways. You remember, Laban had gone home. Well, verse 1 says, Jacob went on his way. But that's where the ordinary stops right there, because then suddenly it says that the angels of God met Jacob, and the word there implies a surprise. Wouldn't that be surprising? (laughs) You're going along, and suddenly there are angels there. You don't say, what's up, angels? Good to see you again. (laughs) It's been… It's been a while since Jacob's seen any angels, and anytime people see angels, it's totally unexpected. What did they look like? When he saw them, what did he see? How did he know they were angels? What were they doing? Those are some questions that I really wanted to have answers for, but we don't get to know any of that. (laughs) That's not recorded for us in this chapter, in this section. The last time Jacob saw angels, though, They were ascending and descending on a ladder or stairs or escalator or ramp or something. Something He didn't know what, you know, he used the word ladder. Uh, Maybe they were doing that again because it doesn't seem like they have actual interaction with him. He just sees them and he says, this is God's camp. And also think back to the last time he saw angels ascending and descending. He said, this is God's house, Beth-El, right? Beth being house and El, uh, God. Here he says it must be God's camp. Um, why the difference? We don't, I mean, maybe it was the Acme instant escalator this time or something. I don't, we don't know why there was a difference. He, he noticed some kind of difference though, right? And he said, this is God's camp. So he names this place Machanaim in Hebrew, which is dual camps. There's two different camps here. There's God's camp and there's, and there's my camp. But what's important for us is that Jacob recognized God is showing him these angels because God's with him. God's giving him this assurance of his presence with him. It's it's a comfort from God. God is true to his word. He's bringing you back like he said he would. You've just parted ways with Laban. You're through with that hardship. You're through that difficulty of working with Laban for 20 years. This is a time now of comfort and closeness to God, Jacob. And surely you've experienced this, where you've endured, you've had a difficult time, a a, a really hard time of life, and and a whole lot of difficult things happening, and and now you've come out of that, and you're feeling really close to the Lord, and you're on top of the world, everything's great. And I've had those experiences, and I thought, oh, thank you, Lord, I'm experiencing your your rewards for being faithful, holding on to you through, through that time, that difficult time. But when I look back, what I think was really happening was that God was giving me a break, before the next big thing came along, right? <laughs> Isn't there always another big thing happening that's about to come that's on the horizon? Because God's planning for that. 
That, that's what God, is, God has for us. The, the big things that we're going through, the little things that kind of pile up and, and, and just disrupt so much of our life, and, and then we get a, a little bit of a break, and thank you, Lord, and then here comes the next thing. That's how God uses these times in our life to grow us, to change us. See, the restful times aren't where God's really growing us. It's those difficult times where He's chiseling and, and molding and shaping, but He gives us those times of rest because He's gracious. He's good to us. Well, here's the next big thing. Jacob knows he's got to make things right with his brother Esau. But notice here that while the angels are here and, and Jacob is, is he's experiencing this, he's seeing this, and it's comforting to him uh, uh, that God is there, at no point do these angels take away the problem that, Esau, that Jacob is about to encounter. You know, they, they, don't, they don't deliver him from the circumstances. They don't take him out of the event, Right? They're a comfort to him, but, but they're preparing him for the next difficulty. And we see that throughout Scripture where angels so often don't just take you out of the, of the situation. They don't just deliver you from the circumstances. Even Jesus in the garden when the angels ministered to him, they didn't say, okay, you're right, this is too hard. Let's not have you go through uh, the cross and, and the sacrifice and death. They ministered to him to prepare him to go through what was going to happen. God does that with us. He's preparing us to go through what's happening next. So after seeing God's messengers, the angels, Jacob says, well, I'm going to follow God's example. I'm going to send some messengers out to Esau to let him know that I'm back. You know, Esau, I've been away so long. I was with Laban. I was delayed with him. Long story. I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> but as we look at what he says, look at verse 4. He says, this, this is what you should say to my Lord Esau. Thus says your servant Jacob. See, in this announcement, later in verse 5, he calls Esau Lord as part of what he tells them to say. But what Jacob is doing is he's humbling himself before his brother Esau. He, says, he calls him Lord, not as in God as Lord, but as someone who's got authority over him. He places himself as servant under him. I'm at your mercy. And he announces his return, not with bravado and gusto. I'm back, right? Now give me back what everything that was mine. He says, I'm taking the approach of humility because Jacob knew he had wronged his brother Esau. Now, there's been no contact between these brothers for 20 years, but Jacob's still not taken for granted that Esau's not still angry at him, is he? Because, please remember this, brothers and sisters, and many of you know this, and yet we say the opposite all the time, but time does not heal all wounds. Time does not heal all wounds, contrary to what we're told. He knows that this anger is probably still there in his brother Esau. In, in fact, Jacob's been experiencing a lot of wrongs from Laban for the past 20 years. He's been on the receiving end of some wrongs. So he's kind of got an idea of a little bit of what Esau may be feeling. Not only that, but you remember when Jacob left, his mother told him, when everything's okay, I'll send word to you and then you can come back. In 20 years, his mother has never sent word, it's okay to come back, Right? So, he's able to relate to this. He knows that there is probably a lot of anger built up in Esau. He lets him know about his company and his animals, so he's not surprised. And he says, I want to find favor in his sight. So, the messengers go away and they come back and good news, he wants to meet you. Bad news, he's coming with 400 men, right? That, that's, uh, that doesn't sound like a welcoming party to Jacob. Uh, they, they sound like they're ready for a fight. So, verse 7, Jacob is greatly afraid and distressed. Now, that word distressed means to be bound up. It means to be tied up. 
wrapped up, oppressed by it. He is seized with fear. And he's gripped by it. He's frozen in fear. What do I do now? The suspense is supposed to be building for us in this passage. What is about to happen? We don't know because Jacob doesn't know. And so we're supposed to feel this with him as we read this story. Uh-oh, now what? <laughs> What's going to happen now? We're, we're supposed to be asking, what, what would I do? What would you do? What's Jacob going to do? So in verse 7, he divides his family in half into two camps. And he says, well, you know, if one of them gets destroyed, Lord willing, I'll be able to keep at least half my family. So this is a desperate situation in Jacob's mind. And so there, there are now two separate camps. But for now, after he's done that, he turns to prayer. And brothers and sisters, we now get to see and read and, and study the prayer, uh, um, one of the model prayers in the Bible for a person who is gripped and wrapped up in fear, just oppressed by it. As Jacob is bound up in fear and greatly afraid and distressed, he calls out to God in prayer for help. Now, if you've ever cried out to God in prayer when you were afraid and it didn't seem like anything happened, well, Lord willing, this is going to teach us how to pray rightly to God when we're afraid, when we're gripped by fear. Now, you may not be in that place this morning where you are just frozen in fear. Uh, you're here this morning, so, so maybe that's not you, but if it is, this will help you. If this isn't you yet, write it down. <laughs> Take these notes and, and, and remember this. Go back to this when you are. Or if you run into a brother or sister who is just frozen in fear, I can't go out of my home. I, I can't go to work. I can't do this. I can't do that because I'm, I'm afraid. Use this to help your brother or sister. Help them pray to the Lord who is there. This is crying out to God in great difficulty and fear, and here it is in five parts, the five parts to Jacob's prayer. Number one, verse nine, start with God's worth, words, and works. Wait, I haven't gotten to pray to God yet about what's pro what the problem is. That's coming. <laughs> That's coming, but start with this. Who are you, who are you praying to? When I'm crying out to God in fear, am I, am I just praying to a, a man? I'm, I'm, I'm praying to the Almighty God, the Almighty Eternal God, not a household idol who hides in, in camel saddlebags, right, as we saw before. We're not praying to ourselves, and we're not praying to an invented God for man's imagination. We're praying to God, the Almighty Eternal Lord Yahweh God. That, that's what Jacob calls him, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, Yahweh. This God, the, the self-existent, eternal, creator, supreme God. That's who I'm crying out to. He was God of Abraham and God of Isaac. Now he's my God and he's never changed over that whole time. He's the one who speaks. The, the one who's not a deaf and dumb idol, not an imaginary feeling from the universe, but an actual, personal, real, living God who has spoken. He gives His Word to man. And even more than that, His words are true and faithful. He said, you're the God who told me to return to the land that I may do you good. So he, he, he follows His Word. He, he fulfills His Word, and He's good. And all that God does is good. You see how Jacob's starting this prayer, and here I am on the brink, the brink of the land. So, so Jacob is, is rightly, from the depths of his distress and fear, crying out to God, I cry out to you because of who you are, God, because of what you've said, because of what you have done. God's worth, His words and His works, it's setting our minds correctly. 
right? So then number two, the next part of this prayer that we, that we pray to God, that we're using this as a model for is verse 10, to settle down in humility. Settle down because when we're in fear, when we're gripped by fear and we're frozen, we're paralyzed by it, we're, sometimes we're panicking or sometimes we're just frozen and we can't do anything. So let's, let's start out by praising God for what He has said and His worth and what he done, He's done. But then second, let's settle ourselves, settle down in humility because for all that God is and all that He says and all that He does in all of God's worthiness compared with what we deserve, we recognize that we are unworthy for all of that. All that God is and says and does. Jacob says, I am not worthy. The word here means little. I'm little compared to you, God. I'm not strong enough. I'm not enough on my own. To, to, just to receive all that you are and all that you've done, God. All that, all that you have said and done, I, I'm not worthy. I, I'm, I'm little compared to that. The world wants us to shut down that language, don't they? The world says, no, you don't, you don't speak to yourself that way. You prop yourself up and, and you, you give speeches to yourself about how good you are, how great you are. And, and how smart and, and strong, and I've got this, I've got this life, I can do this, I can pull myself up here. And, and we're supposed to do it over and over again because the world says, well, you're listening to the wrong voices that tell you that you can't. But it's really the wrong voices that are telling us that we can, that we need to drown out. Those are the wrong voices. The wrong voices are telling us we're enough, we're able. God brings things into our lives repeatedly that teach us that we're not strong enough, that we can't handle it. And that's why we're supposed to be crying out to Him. We trust Him. We turn to Him for deliverance, for strength to endure, for the outcome that strengthens our faith, our faith rather than destroys our faith. The faith in the Lord Jesus, not the faith in ourselves. There's not enough reason within me, God, for all of the, the love that You have given. There's no merit within me to show that, that I deserve Your steadfast love. That chesed love that we talked about, never-ending kindness from God, the, the love for our benefit that He gives to us because of the covenant relationship that we have with Him, that's that steadfast love. God, I don't deserve that, but you've given that to me. And all faithfulness, Jacob says, the always true, never-failing trustworthiness that we have with Him because of who He is. This is the God I'm crying out to because at the end of myself, I don't have the strength. I, can't, I don't have the ability to get through, but God does. He's always been there. He has, and He will always be there, and He is there now. God is always enough. So that's the second part. Verse 10, we see the third part, that we need to be specific with God's faithfulness. Be specific with, with how He's been faithful. We praise Him because of who He is. He's the, the love, uh, the, the never-ending love God, the steadfast love and the kindness and the faithfulness God. But then talk about how that's been true. Look what Jacob says, with only my staff I crossed this Jordan. Now I've become two camps. All that I have, all that I am, all that happens is only ever because of you, God. It's because of your worth. It's because of your words and your works. My every breath is from you, God. As we're crying out in fear and, and we're setting our minds right on this God and we're humbling ourselves before Him, well, well, then we're taking the time to be specific about the wonderful ways that God has worked. My food and my clothing are all from you, God. My ability to work and live and move and my family, my friends, anything I have, all that I am my whole life. And at the top of that list is my sin that's been removed in Jesus. 
the, the sin that I could never deal with on my own. You've, you've removed it as far as the east is from the west. You've taken my sins that were as scarlet and made me like snow. You've changed me from within, from, from my sins red like crimson to wool. That was a serious problem. And God, you've taken care of that in your son, Jesus Christ. You've given me a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. All of the wonderful things. You've done everything I could never do, God. Rather than claiming any of this for myself, I give this all to you, the glory for all of this to you. Be specific, not just general in what God has done. The fourth part. The fourth part is now, verse 11, that's where we get to cry out to God for what's been happening and what's going on, what we're afraid of. So number four, we seek God's deliverance. This is where we seek His deliverance after recognizing His worthiness and my unworthiness because of all that God is, was, and will be, all that He has said and done. Now I'm in the right place to ask for deliverance because this this is where it's key for us. Right now I know that I'm asking for something in addition to what He's already done. If all he had done is all he has already done, it would be more than enough. It would be more than I'm worthy of. So the only reason that God should hear my prayer and answer my prayer is because of who he is, not because of me. The only reason he should answer my request is whether he decides to or not. <laughs> but he is still the, the God of steadfast love and faithfulness, the Yahweh Lord God. That's who he still is. He is true and good forever and always. Now that I recognize what I actually deserve is worse than anything I've ever gotten, anything that's ever happened before, I ask God for deliverance in whatever way He sees fit. Th- that's, when we, that's how we can cry out to Him, and that's when we're seeking Him for deliverance because we've set our minds right on who He is as much as we can and, and how little we are and how little we deserve from Him. But I know that whatever He does is going to be for my good and for His glory. It also allows me to be honest in my petition. In verse 11, Jacob says, I fear him. God, I fear Esau. I'm afraid of him. He may come and attack me, including my wives, the mothers of the children and the children themselves. <laughs> you appreciate Jacob's changed concern here. It's not just about himself anymore. <laughs> he's like, Look what he's going to do to the, the children and their mothers. He acknowledges not only can he not protect himself, he can't protect his family against an army of 400 men. So he's completely honest with God in, in confessing and in, in seeking his, his help, his deliverance. I'm afraid, I'm weak, I'm unable. But God, you are never fearful. God, you are never weak. God, you are always able. Well, the final part of the prayer then, number five in verse 12 in, in Jacob's model prayer is to stand on God's promises. We stand on God's promises because as we finish our prayer to God for deliverance, we remind ourselves and we recount to God what He has said, His good and faithful promises, His Word. How do I have any hope of any of this? Because you are God. You're the God who makes and keeps promises. I don't know how you're going to do it, God. From my perspective, there's no way. (laughs) There's, There's nothing that can be done. There's no hope. There's no reason for optimism at all except that you are God. And that you're good and you have promised. You have made promises. I can't see it now, but I know it and I believe it. And so we hold on to the Lord. We grab on to the Lord and His Word. And, and that takes precedent in our mind and our hearts over the fear of anything else that's happening or, or that should or could or would or might come along and happen. And when we're finished with this prayer, what we should not do is look for everything to change around us. 
because it doesn't change for Jacob. He prays this prayer, but he still has to meet Esau. Jesus prayed the prayer in the garden, but he still had to go to the cross. Things may not change around us. More often what will happen is that God's going to bring us strength to be able to endure what happens. And then he's going to use what happens to change us to be more into the image of Jesus, less into the image of ourselves, less like the world. So it's not, well, am I going to trust him to remove or change the circumstances, but am I going to trust him and love him even if the circumstances don't change? Am I going to trust him to lead me through? What does Psalm 23 say? Yea, though I don't have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, (laughs) I'm going to have to walk through it. His rod and his staff are with me. And this is how this happens in our mind. This, This is how we can learn to grow in our trust and our faith in this God, this good, great God. Now, some people think, well, that's not good enough. God should just remove what's coming. But remember, God's bringing what's coming. (laughs) He's bringing us through it. Well, what are the other alternatives? Because I don't like those answers. Well, let's think through the world's answers. It'll all be okay. (laughs) Will it? I mean, is that a promise we can always make? Oh, it'll all work out. You know, sometimes we go through that illness and it takes our life. Or it takes the life of a loved one. Oh, it's just all okay. Is it? Is that the best the world has? Oh, something good will come from this. How? If there's no God in charge of this, if there's no God working through it, how is any good going to come from an accidental bad, you know, accidental good from accidental bads? The world's answers aren't better. They're They're empty. Well, it's just karma, or it's just fate, or, you know, it's not fair, but you just have to deal with it. That's how life is. Wow, how empty the alternatives are. The world doesn't have good answers. The Word doesn't tell us that everything's just going to be better, everything's just going to work out. I mean, it it will all be better when we get to 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 the Lord. We get to be in His presence. The Bible says you're going to go through hard times, but God is with you to make sense of it, to, to make things better in your life. Not, not the circumstances, but to make you better, <laughs> to make you more like Christ. It's always for good. Maybe not our immediate definition of good, but the ultimate good, as God has, has determined. So prayer like this rejects all of the terrible and empty answers from the world. It reorients us to the truth of who God is, who we are, and what's happening through it all. And it helps us to understand, and that's how the Lord is working through these things to bring us into the image of Jesus, to make us more like Him, to grow our faith. That's the prayer. That's how Jacob prayed to God. Well, now comes his presenting the gift. And we've read it together. We read the verses here in chapter 32, verses 13 through 21. They're pretty self-explanatory. He sends over 550 animals set apart in groups. They're supposed to tell Esau, this is from Jacob, your servant Jacob, to his Lord Esau. He's humbling himself. They're a present to you. And verse 20 says, this is the hope for all of this, that I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Now, the English kind of obscures the wordplay here. It's really closer in the original to, that I may appease his face with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will lift my face. So three times there's face, 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 and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in English. That's why it's smoothed out for us. But this is where relationship happens, face to face. 
This is what Jacob's hoping for when, where the speaking happens, where facial expression happens, and it, it's emblematic of friendship and fellowship together and closeness when you're face to face. He's trying to bring them, the two brothers, the, the twin brothers, his twin brother, into reconciliation rather than animosity. Now, some people want to fault Jacob for that amazing model prayer and then acting it out like this. You know, like, like somehow commentators get really confused. Like, how could Jacob pray so fervently and then be so forgetful? You know, why does he split everybody up and then hope that, well, if some die, then not all of them will, and that's the best I can do? <laughs> you know, why does he pray and then act like this? Should he have made this separation? And, and, and they focus on his actions. And what if it wasn't forgetfulness that Jesus acted, that Jesus, that Jacob acted after this prayer? What if it wasn't faithlessness or forgetfulness? What if it was just trusting in action after his prayer? The argument that, that people make is, well, you know, it was, God plan, it was God's plan all along for Jacob to have all of this. He was blessing him. He said you were going to have the birthright, you were going to have the blessing. He didn't need to go give it all away to Esau, his brother. That's how the argument usually goes. He shouldn't be trying to appease someone who just doesn't like what God's doing. But I don't think that's what Jacob was doing. Yes, it was God's plan for Jacob to have all of this. Yes, it was God's plan for Jacob to be blessed and to have the birthright, and, and he did receive it, but he got it through manipulation and deceit. See, that was wrong. He had wronged his brother, so he needed to make restitution for the wrong. Jacob wasn't making up for getting God's blessing. <laughs> Jacob wasn't saying, I'm sorry that God blessed me and not you. He's saying, I'm sorry for the way that I did it. Making up for the way that he took it. So, brothers and sisters, when we've wronged somebody, we need to make it right. And this was a costly way to make it right. He's trying to get on Esau's good side, win him over. I'm sorry for the wrongs I've done. What I did was substantial. The, the present that I'm offering to you is substantial. 550, over 550 animals. Because kindness is more powerful than aggression. It's, it's God's kindness. It's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. Jacob's being kind, and he's following that example. If it doesn't work, well, he's just going to have to trust God (laughs) to provide another way. But here's our example. So, that's the first 21 verses. We're, We're more than halfway through. Let's look at the next 11 verses because these have been a little bit more difficult for people to understand traditionally. Number two, the, first, the second section here is that Jacob prepares to meet Esau by putting up a fight. He's putting up a fight. That's how he's going to prepare. Now, one commentator said, quote, there is no commentator who can so expound this experience as to clear up perfectly every difficulty involved, end quote. This is a notoriously difficult part where Jacob begins to wrestle with a man who he says, I've met face-to-face God. Hosea 12 says that this was an angel of God. And, and so, there, there are difficulties here. But the main idea that people have come up with is, well, um, as a suggestion, this was allegorical of Israel coming into the land. So, it didn't really happen like this. It was just kind of an allegory of what, how Israel came into the land. Or, what actually happened was this was a guardian river demon that Jacob wrestled with <laughs> as he passed his family over the river and he had to wrestle with the, the demon that protected the river. I, I don't know how you come up with that at all. Um, other people say, well, this was Jacob actually wrestling in prayer, and it's just kind of a story that shows you how much he was wrestling in prayer. But there's nothing here to indicate that this was anything but a physical encounter 
between Jacob and another person who takes the form of a man. It was a physical match. The word wrestle here actually means dust. You know, the rolling around in the dust. That's pretty physical. Um, These were two actual people. It involved getting dirty. Um, To end the match, the man touched Jacob's hip and dislocated it. Uh, Try telling Jacob that didn't actually happen. (laughs) That had to be extremely painful. In fact, he was limping later on. This was clearly physical. But to begin, Jacob becomes isolated again. He's, He's alone, just like he was when he was about to leave the land. He's coming back in. He's isolated. Now he's all alone. And there are some more significant Hebrew word plays here. A lot of times there are Hebrew word plays that are just kind of interesting but not helpful to understand. So we, you know, I, I look at them and go, wow, that's neat, and, you know, move on. But sometimes they're important, and here's another part that's important. God's working on Jacob to change him, as we said. We call this God's continual practical work of sanctification, bringing holiness into the life of His people. And Jacob needs more change to be conformed to the image of Jesus. You say, well, he he never met Jesus. Well, neither have we physically. (laughs) He's 2,000 years before Jesus. We're 2,000 years after Jesus. We're all being made into His image by God's work in us, by His grace. But there are three words that sound similar in the beginning part of this passage that connect all of this. The, The Jacob that's going to be crossing here, the Jacob who needs to be changed. The river is the Jabok. In Hebrew, it's Yabok. The man Jacob is Yaakov. And the action of wrestling is Yavik. So it's three letters, the Y or the J sound that we have in English. It's the B or the V sound and the K sound. So Yaakov came to the Yavok to Yavik. <laughs> I mean, that's kind, of, that's kind of the idea you get, right, with those three letters coming together. All three have those consonant sounds, and it's, 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 this is what's happening at the beginning. Jacob and his actions, his responses are familiar and, and customary to himself, but it all needs to change. The wrestling with this man lasts all night. Now, Jacob's already alone. His family's crossing the wilderness, about to encounter his murderously angry brother Esau. The last thing you want to do to to prepare for that is to wrestle all night long (laughs) with someone you can't beat. But up till now, every person that Jacob has encountered, he's come out on top. He's striven with anybody and everybody that comes along, and he always comes out the winner. It's usually by what he does through manipulation, through scheming, through deceiving. Even when he trusted God with the situation with Laban, he says, yeah, God did all of that, but I mean, I was still doing the thing with the sticks, right? I was still peeling a man. I was doing something. But now he's about to enter the promised land. He's totally vulnerable to his brother's attack. And he knows there's no way that he can deceive him, no way he can get around him. He can't overpower him. After wrestling all night with this man, now he has no strength left what is he going to do? He's been evenly matched with this man. And, and who is this man that was an even match for the powerful Jacob? You remember Jacob, he rolled the stone away from the well that took three men to do? I mean, this is a strong man. Jacob says in verse 30 that he implies he believes it was God in the form of a man. Hosea 12.4 refers to this, and, and it says that Jacob strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. That's Hosea 12.4. So, so it seems like it was a, a messenger or angel from God. Maybe it was uh, God who spoke through him, and, and that's how Jacob says it was face to face. Maybe it was God as a man. It's, it's not clear how God did this, but what is clear to us is the effect. Because as Jacob and this angel or God as a man wrestle, there's no clear winner. There's just a whole lot of using up of Jacob's strength. 
all night long. And then as morning approaches, the angel touches Jacob's hip and dislocates it. So now he really has no ability to wrestle, to continue wrestling. I mean, one of the main uh, muscles in his body, in his legs, he's unable to get any leverage. He can't go on anymore. So it's happened all night where it's been dark and he couldn't see. It's happened all night, so he has no energy left. His hip is now dislocated. He can't use any physical strength. See, every bit of his advantage and ability is rendered useless at this point. The only thing that he can do as he figures out that this wasn't just some guy who wanted to defend his wrestling title, the only thing he can do at the end of himself now is hang on to this man and weep, as Hosea 12 says, and ask for blessing. That's the main idea of this main event with Jacob wrestling. He says in verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The only way I can let, I'm going to let go is if I get a blessing. That's the only hope I have now is God's blessing on me because I've reached the end of all of my abilities and capabilities and strengths. I've got nothing left. That's what God was teaching Jacob. Now learn with me, brothers and sisters, this lesson. Because your strengths, your abilities are not the problem. It, it, my, my abilities and my strengths are not what gets in the way. God gave us what we have However much, however little, whatever we've got, God gave us those. He made us with those unique strengths and abilities and skills and talents. The issue is what you're doing with them because God can and will take them away or render them useless so that you don't rely on them, you rely on Him. God gave us our abilities, our strengths to use for Him and for His glory, not for ourselves and for our own glory. So yes, use your strengths. Use the gifts that you were born again with when you came to, to salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Use the talents that you were physically born with, that, that God gave to you when you were born, but use them for the Lord Jesus Christ in every part of our life. The lesson was driven home for Jacob as daylight came, from the, from the darkness of ignorance to the wisdom of light of day. He said, I'm at the end of myself. So he refused to let go until he was sure of God's blessing. God, I don't want to be left with my own abilities now. <laughs> I don't want to be left to myself anymore. It's not enough. I need God's blessings. And it was driven home for him for all time in the, in the change of his name from Jacob, supplanter, cheater, heel grabber, to Israel. Now there's debate over what Israel means, whether it's he strives with God or God strives for him on his behalf. In reality, both are going to be true. Jacob, the people of Israel, are going to be striving with God for blessing. God's going to be striving for them to bring about his blessing, bringing about his word. But it's not going to be any more cheating and deceiving and manipulating and scheming if we're, if we're doing it God's way, if we're using what God has his way. So it's a huge change for Jacob, Israel, now, and he recognizes it. So he says, well, my name has changed, and this place is different, and I'm going to rename this place, and I, what's your name? <laughs> I, my name's been changed. What's your name? The answer isn't what he expects. It's a, it's a question with a question. <laughs> Why do you ask my name? Now, it could be that he's telling him, you know who I am. <laughs> I've revealed myself to you before. I've told you my name it could be that he's telling Jacob the same thing the angel of the Lord, Jesus, pre-incarnate, told Manoah in Judges 13, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? 
you can't even grasp my name, all that I am. It's beyond your capability to understand. It could be that he's just saying, you know what, since you know who, it is, who I am, and since you know that my name is above even your comprehension, all that God is, he says, you don't get to rename me. You don't get to have power over who I am. You don't get to rename me like I did to you. This works one way. My name remains the same. But the highlight of this is the end of verse 29. There he blessed him. There he blessed him. He had learned the lesson God had for him. In humility, at the end of himself, he received God's blessing. Not because he worked for it, not because he was able, but because he simply asked. He asked for God's blessing at the end of himself. And so he memorialized the event, again, by renaming the place Face of God. That place over there by the river, yeah, that place is called Face of God. Peniel, Penny, Face, El, Elohim, God. By the way, you see the Peniel and then you see Penuel. It's the same meaning, different endings on the first part, the face, but it means the same thing, the face of God. And he renamed it that because he saw, in his mind at least, God face to face. Maybe he had seen God face to face, but obviously no man can see God in all of his glory face to face. You cannot see God and live. But he was looking to the face of God as his comfort, as, as blessing, as strength, as, and as purpose. No longer was he concerned so much with verse 20, his face meeting Esau's face and, and those faces. He was looking to the face of God face to face, nobody in between. And now his life is delivered, and now he knows he can face Esau. Not because he's able. Again, he knows he's weak, he's vulnerable, there's no sleep, he's limping. But God has made him ready. And he's only ready because of God. So from now on, Israel, the nation, nobody eats that particular sinew that connects the thigh muscles to the the bone at the hip. Um, Sinew can refer to tendon or ligament or sciatic nerve. It's not clear which one. Would anybody eat any of that? Yes. People would, but they they decided not to, and it wouldn't be part of the law, but it would just be a tradition that they had memorializing what happened here. But how did Jacob prevail? We we see here in these verses, at the end of verse 28, he prevailed. Hosea 12 again says that Jacob prevailed. How did he prevail? How did he win in this situation? Because he put up a fight, but it didn't end until God touched him and dislocated his leg. In my mind, he lost the match, right? I mean, it was even all night long until it ended with him not being able to wrestle anymore. But he won, he prevailed, because he was blessed by God. God's blessings do not come to those who help themselves. God's blessings are not to those who are the strongest, who are the most able. We've been learning and we've seen here, often God will take away your strength. He'll remove what you have so that all you can do is, at the end of yourself, be amazed at this God and ask Him. And that's when He gives it, graciously, mercifully. Get rid of your self-sufficiency and hold on to God. When Jacob gave up trying to earn God's blessing and simply asked Him in humility, that's when he prevailed. That's when he was blessed. It wasn't through wrestling. Brothers and sisters, that's how God works in us. This is how He gives us strength This is how He uses our strength and our effort and our desires to work to bring about His will. We don't just sit back and say, let God do it all. You know, Jesus, take the wheel. We don't say that. We say, 
Jesus, use me to, to turn the wheel. I mean, use my strength, use my abilities. And this is how we're growing in holiness. This is how we're, we're growing to be more like Jesus and less like ourselves. This is how the holiness comes within us without which no one will see God. And so in summary for the application, just summarizing what we've talked about, rather than fear, rather than self-sufficiency, humble yourself before God in faith and act with all your strength for Him. Humble yourself before God in faith and act with all your strength for Him. He's given us our strength. He's given us our energy, our abilities, all that we have, and it's to be used for Him, for His purposes, not to be sat on and waited for Him to do everything, not to do nothing, and not to try to do it all ourselves, <laughs> figuring things out ourselves, working as He has called us to work, doing what He's called us to do, all for His glory. Father, we thank You, God, that You are this amazing, powerful, awesome God. God, we cannot fathom all that You are. Lord, You are too big for our minds to comprehend. Lord, just in how You are forever, eternal, everlasting. God, You had no beginning. You have no end. God, that's so big for us to comprehend. Lord, in Your goodness, forever You have been good. You've never been anything but good. God, we cannot fully comprehend that. God, in all of Your eternal goodness, you are the God who's righteous and holy. Father, before you we fall down. We are little compared to you, Father. God, we are unable on our own, but God, you are able. You are always able. You have never been afraid of anything. There's never been anything you cannot do. God, we praise you. We lift up your great name. Father, we praise you and thank you that you have shown that to us. God, it's not a message that appeals to our flesh. God, it's not a message that, that we just want to proclaim in, in our bodies. But God, we see it. We see the truth in your word. God, we experience it in this world. God, thank you for revealing to us your truth. Thank you, God, for revealing who you are. Father, we pray that you would work in us to trust more. Lord, that we'd not fear. But when we do, God, that we would fear you more. That we would trust you more. Father, we pray that you'd give us opportunities, this, especially in this season, God, when people are more open. Lord, we pray that they would be more open to hear about the Jesus, the Christ, the Savior Lord who was born. Lord, he did not just stay a baby. Lord, he grew and he grew perfectly to die for us, to save us, to rise again. Oh, what a message. Father, what a gospel of good news. What a hope we have. Father, we pray that it would be made more real to us every day and that it would come out of our mouths and out of our actions, Lord. God, that you'd be glorified and that people would ask, why do you have such hope? And that we'd be ready to give a reason for the hope we have. Father, we praise you for Jesus. We lift up his name. We pray in that name, the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen.